You're listening to ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine, produced in cooperation with AMDA. Your host is Dr. Eric Tangelos, Professor of Medicine at the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and a Certified Medical Director in Long-Term Care. Evidence-based medicine is crucial to providing quality of care for patients, but the human connection between the physician and the patient can go a long way to comforting them. How might alternative healing arts complement traditional medicine to offer patients pain relief and a sense of calm? Joining us to discuss using Reiki as alternative pain management is Dr. Harold Bob, managing partner of a group practice in Reisterstown, Maryland, and medical director at two nursing homes and a hospice in Maryland. Welcome, Dr. Bob. Hi, Eric. First off, what drew you to looking at non-pharmacologic therapies for pain management, especially at the end of life? And tell us, uh, what are the situations that you might consider using Reiki? Evidence-based medicine is the way to go when it works. We can do some miraculous and spectacular things, but we all know as physicians there comes a time where sometimes our science, sometimes it fails us. And we can't give up on people and just walk out of the room. We have to continue to help people. And in learning Reiki, I've learned some simple methods that work and that actually relieve people's suffering. Tell us how you got interested in Reiki in the first place. I've been working on a hospice unit the last three years. It's a continuation of doing a lot of work in nursing homes and working with patients who are at the end of life. And what I found is that when we do Reiki with hospice patients, they suffer less just straightforward, they suffer less. Reiki is simple, but our goal in hospice is to make people more comfortable, and this is a technique that works. Well, you better tell us about the technique then. Well, there's a couple things. First of all, it involves an acknowledgement that we're going to face up to talking about with patients where they're going from here. We don't invalidate the patient's own faith. I think it's so powerful. Of course, it's so easy to say, get your will in order or find your will, or find your living will. But patients actually are thinking about where they're going from here. Most people have faith, and physicians oughtn't invalidate people's faith. So if we let people talk about their own faith, that's the beginning of a session, because I can't put my hands on anybody to do Reiki on them until first I have to talk with them and have to get a sense of who they are and what they believe in. All right, so you've got us at the bedside now. Go ahead and give us a specific example. Well, one of the things that Reiki does is we do simple touch if the patients permit us to touch them. Uh, It's not massage, but it's just simple touch. Reiki can actually be done with the hands somewhat off the body, and there are some very interesting evidence-based studies that show that simple touch, just human contact, causes calm, and compassionate presence, just having another human being sitting there with you so that you are not alone. The sense of loneliness and loss of hope that patients have is devastating, and it increases their pain and their suffering. Well, there's nothing better than the human touch. It conjures up all kinds of images for each and every one of us. You have written about being in the moment. My suspicion is that part of that is with the touch, but go on from there. You know, one patient comes to mind. Her name was Rosalind, and she came from an ICU to my unit. She couldn't breathe. She had a mask on over her face. She was absolutely terrified. And the ICU doc said, told me that she was going to die that day. That's what everybody expected. Her pastor was there, and her pastor was supportive of us doing Reiki. A group of us did Reiki with her. All we were really doing 
was touching her in just a, a non-invasive way and just giving her our presence. And at her request, we took the mask off her face and just replaced it with some simple nasal oxygen. And as we were just there, this woman who a moment before could hardly breathe, was said by the ICU was dying, started to sing about her faith. It was incredible. She fell asleep, and when I came to visit her the next day, she was sitting up in a chair. Now, there's actually nothing more depersonalizing than an ICU unit, and it sounds as though what you've done was to bring the person-centeredness right back into the equation. I had another patient. Uh, his name was Tim. Tim came to us with just some horrible wounds. He was in a lot of pain, and, of course, he was asking us uh, to increase his opioids. He wanted to be comfortable. And I asked Tim's permission, and I think it's always important to ask people's permission if we could do Reiki with him. We had some Reiki volunteers spend 45 minutes with him, and all they did was simple touch and compassionate presence. And at the end of that period of time, what Tim said to us was that it was the first time after being in a hospital for four weeks that he felt that anybody cared about him as a human being. That human connection helped him to start to talk about his feelings of where he was going, where he was headed. And he came to the conclusion that God loved him. Now, it's not my job to sell faith, but it's really also not my job to destroy it. And I try to ask each patient what their spiritual perceptive is. I try to be a good listener. So what else differentiates Reiki from uh, some of the other healing arts? Reiki is a method. It brings simple touch, and it brings compassionate presence. But what it really is is a method of how to do those things. And beyond being a method of simple touch and compassionate presence, Reiki is a training for a person themselves to live the moment, to use your own breathing and your own focus to not have anxiety overcome you in the moment. If you can avoid anger, if you can avoid anxiety, and if you can begin to have a focus of compassion in the moment toward the world, the world becomes easier to live with, and it becomes easier for a patient to live those last days of their life if they have somebody who's willing just to connect with them, talk with them, communicate with them as a human being, not write them off as dead before they've passed. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Tangalos, and joining me to discuss using Reiki as alternative pain management is Dr. Harold Bob, managing partner of a group practice in Reisterstown, Maryland, and medical director at two nursing homes and a hospice in Maryland. We've been talking about Reiki. We've been talking about it as a complementary therapy. Do we have to abandon any of our evidence-based medicine to do this? One of the things, Eric, that makes me so comfortable with Reiki is that Reiki doesn't abandon scientific or evidence-based medicine. Reiki reinforces it. Reiki teaches us that we should use scientific and evidence-based medicine first when it works. Reiki is strictly complementary, and there is nothing about Reiki that is competitive with scientific medicine that works. So Reiki works on the spiritual side. It works on the side of human connection, and it is a method that helps people do compassionate listening, compassionate presence, and simple touch, but it doesn't replace conventional medicine. So if I have a patient with pneumonia, I'm going to use an antibiotic. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do traditional medicine when it works.
there have to be a certain group where there's pushback. There's got to be patients and other physicians who occasionally doubt the benefits. What do you do in those situations? You know, I think I have to be respectful of everybody. We have to try to talk about things. I think that some people accuse complementary medicine of trying to replace traditional medicine. That's not true. Though, on the other hand, if I were to have a patient who's suffering from cancer and the patient has been through chemotherapy and the chemotherapy isn't working, the cancer is growing on CAT scan, the chemotherapy keeps pouring in and it's making the patient's hair fall out and making them vomit. You know, Eric, there are some evidence-based studies that when we use evidence-based medicine when we oughtn't, it can shorten people's lives. So in that sense, I'd rather use simple touch and compassionate presence than to use something as a hope and a prayer when I know it's not going to work on an evidence basis. I think you've given us very good caveats with regards to this. Any potential harms, direct harms from using Reiki? Reiki shouldn't cause any harm because Reiki is just simple touch. It's not massage. If somebody's rubbing their hands on somebody or rubbing their hands around or, you know, it's basically fully clothed. It's a simple touch. It is, when we teach Reiki, it's a method of how to do simple touch in a non-invasive way. What it really focuses on is compassionate presence. It doesn't require faith. It doesn't require a high-level skill. It's very simple. It's simply the simple touch and the presence. A patient of mine said to me the other day, as a patient who is fighting heart disease, he's fighting some kidney disease, he's still doing volunteer work for other people, and he said about spirituality in general that the thing is that you don't have to go out and seek God, that if you just open your heart to spirituality, that it will find you. So, Harold, is the Reiki program always in hospice, or can you apply it to a broader spectrum of patients? Reiki can be applied to a broader spectrum of patients. I think that the usages in hospice right now are very widespread, but new. I think what's happening is a lot of hospital programs, there's over 100 hospital programs all over the country, prestigious institutions that do have formal Reiki programs. But a lot of this is new. The acceptance is new. I think that the acceptance of Reiki is because it doesn't do any harm. It's really low cost. It's simple, and it works, and it doesn't compete with traditional medicine. Now, I suspect you have it in both of your nursing homes and the hospice there in Maryland, correct? We do try it wherever we can. It's where people will accept it because it's not something that we're, we're going to do without somebody's consent. Now, are there some simpler aspects that caregivers can incorporate without a formal study? Yes, I think that there have been some interesting studies with simple touch and compassionate presence. I keep coming back to those because I think that those are very, very important. In patients who have end-of-life cancer, there are evidence-based studies that if another person simply is present with them, keeps them company, combats their loneliness, and just touches their hand in a non-invasive way, that those patients describe significantly less pain. They're less fearful and they're more comfortable. I think human presence is important, and I don't think any patient should die alone. I've always noticed that with our hospice programs that it's the massage therapist that carries far more weight than anyone would ever imagine And I think it's the simple touch and the simple presence that gets them going. I agree with you. When we can't cure a patient as a physician, we can take off our white coat and we can still care about that patient. And what I found time after time, 
even this morning. I had discussions with several patients. I cannot cure them. But if I sit with them and they know that I care about them as a person, it makes them feel better. It makes them feel respected. And respect is very important to people. Give us an example of where Reiki may have worked in a home environment. Sometimes we do Reiki on patients at home, and I have had patients where I or my nurses have gone into people's homes. People have had advanced cancer with bony metastatic disease. Sometimes we have patients with severe pain, what would be a 10 out of 10 pain. You know, we rate pain where 1 out of 10 is the patient are comfortable, and 10 out of 10 are the worst in their life. And what's really hard to understand, but maybe we don't need to understand it, when we first found penicillin, we didn't know why it worked, but sometimes we've gone in and just done nothing but Reiki, simple touch and compassionate presence, and we've taken people's pain levels down from 10 out of 10 to 1 out of 10. It isn't magic, Eric. It's a simple method that works. Well, you know, I may be doing this uh, and not even knowing it because on many occasions, I've prescribed grandkids at the bedside. I think that's a great idea. Do you have any specific references that you want to send our audiences to now? Well, I think that Reiki News is a magazine that's on the newsstand. It's an excellent magazine, and I would reference that. I think Rick Rivard in Vancouver has a great website about Reiki. I think Pamela Miles in New York City has a great website about Reiki. Pamela was recently on the Dr. Oz show. And Dr. Oz came out and talked about the fact that Pamela was uh, in his operating room sometimes. So this is fairly widespread, and those are some websites and easily available material. And how about future directions? Where do you think this area of practice is going to go? You know, Eric, the Institute of Medicine said that complementary medicine should be studied on an evidence-based way. We're committed to both traditional pharmacological approaches and surgical approaches, but also complementary approaches. We need to learn more about them. We need to study more about them. We need to do things that are not harmful and low cost and things that work. That makes sense. Any final remarks for our listening audience? I would ask people to be humanly connected, to keep an open mind, to realize that complementary medicine and traditional medicine do not have to conflict. They can be used together. It's important to use them together. I would like to thank my guest, Certified Medical Director from Maryland, Dr. Harold Bob. Dr. Bob, thank you very much for being our guest this week on Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine. Thanks, Eric. You have been listening to Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine from ReachMD Radio, the channel for medical professionals. Advances in Long-Term Care Medicine is produced in cooperation with AMDA. For more information about this or any other show, please visit ReachMD.com, which now features on-demand podcasts.